You're listening to a Comics XF podcast. X-Men. Hey everyone, and welcome to another exciting episode of Battle of the Atom. This is your weekly X-Men podcast where we rank every story from A to Z. I'm Adam. And I'm Zach. Adam, how are you today? I'm good. Uh, we're back for our you know second episode of 2024, and uh, I think we got a bit of a doozy for our audience today. For our audience, Adam, we have a bit of a doozy for you and I, friends who <laughs> yes. like to talk about comic books. Very true. Very true. Uh, who requested that we talk about this five-year-old story on this week's episode? That's a great question. Uh, this week's request comes to us, as all requests do from our Patreon supporters. This one came from Riley Gillard. If you want to be like Riley, you can go over to patreon.com slash battle the atom. Reach deep down into your hearts and pocketbooks and toss a couple of coins into our coffers. And what you can do with that is be nice to us and say, you know what? Zach and Adam, Zach and Adam do so much for this, for the, for, for, for my ears every week. We could, I could ask them to talk about something that they like will have fun with and they'll be, you know, making their goofs and their bits and talking about what this weird character is doing these days. We could make them talk about some 60s comic that neither of them will like, but they'll use as a springboard to talk about stuff they actually want to talk about. Sure. We could figure out what Chris Claremont comics they haven't covered, because you know they love those. Extreme <laughs> doesn't count. Please don't. <laughs> That's true. There's so many things that we enjoy, Adam. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In this case, unfortunately, we have been asked to talk about something that I think I think Riley thought would be fun to talk about (laughs) and instead (laughs) instead this is an all bummers episode folks well i don't know if it's all bummers but it's mostly bummers uh there's a disproportionate amount of bummers in this episode yes yes what is it zach what have uh we been tasked with covering this week we're talking we're talking about the matt rosenberg pre-krakoa uncanny x-men run split into three parts that is correct (laughs) <laughs> uncanny x-men 11 to 22 and war of realms x-men we're just we're talking about it all folks i think this is a smart way to do this though because it would be not great to like just do the first half and then like talk about them uh, randomly on another episode you know like let's just let's just talk about all of it because this is like band-aid the, protocol yeah I think. rip it off rip that band-aid off and you know if some arm hair comes with it so be it so you know you're gonna hear some some arm hair and come off. <laughs> before we get started, I mm-hmm. want to I want to just reiterate. Matthew Rosenberg, friend of the show, has been on. He's in yes. fact talked about some of the things he didn't like about this run. And he's a writer that we tend to like. Uh where do we have where do we have uh Dead Souls? Love Dead Souls? Yeah, we have Dead Souls in the top 50. Uh we have Multiple, Love Multiple Man. Man. Love Multiple Man. In the top 100, like I like Matthew Rosenberg comics by and large. 
what's the furthest place from here? Still a weird, fun universe of random child what's, gangs attacking each other. It's pretty cool. What's the furthest place from here is pretty darn good. Four kids, pretty good. Rosenberg tends to have... Here's what Rosenberg has a really good strength at. Rosenberg has a really good sense of dialogue and sense of character. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a lot of good timing with his dialogue. That works really well. He also tends to step back and let his artists do their thing, especially when he's working with like Tyler Boss or others in his creator own side. Love that. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, he doesn't have the best artists to work with here. And the final result is an X-Men run that I, I think charitably I could call disliked. This is I not only disliked a run. is the right word. <laughs> yeah, it's not only that people don't like this run. There's a lot of people that hate this run. Um, I think even while it was coming out, it was extremely controversial among X fans. It was so not that Twitter was ever a good place, but like there's a there's like a three month spell between this run starting and the Krakoa stuff starting to get announced. Hmm. Hmm. And I don't know if if there was a rougher time to be talking to X-Men fans on the internet. Like, it just, it wasn't fun. Yeah, um, we've talked about elements of the, the storyline that's happening in tandem with this, which is the age of X-Men. And I think we've spoken pretty highly about some of the creative risks that were taken uh, as part of that alternate universe energy. Even if that wasn't perfect, it was doing some things that I think you and I have both agreed are really fascinating and, you know, maybe in the larger scheme of things don't quite shake out. But there were some really amazing things that came out of Age of X-Men that even flowed into what was going on in Krakoa. Oh, yeah. I'm number number one Age of X-Men fan, Zach Jenkins, right here. Yeah. You know, bring on Age of X-Men too. But unfortunately, because... After the first 10 issues of Uncanny X-Men Volume 5 disassembled, or is it disassembled? Disassembled? Disassembled. Disassembled. It's an Avengers riff, which is a weird way to start, it's but I get it. It's a strange thing to do. Uh, you've got the majority of the X-Men off the table. So Rosenberg is left with a limited palette and is, you know, be it through editorial edict or what, he's essentially going to tell what is going to be one of if not the darkest stories because that's what he's got left and it's this sense of desperation and doom and death that is going to be the permeating emotion uh that is going to go through these issues it's not the kind of thing that is going to put a smile on most people's faces it is not and i am not a man who is against bummer comics all the time or bummer stories. I read things that make me feel bad sometimes. And my wife is like, why did you do that? And I said, listen, art's complicated. There's a lot to it. (laughs) Absolutely right. You know, like there's so many great movies out there that are just designed to make you cry or, or, or what? Um, I watched, I watched, here's what I did, Adam. You'll, you'll get a kick out of this. This weekend I watched the lighthouse. Uh, Oh, Love that. And I just I described it to my wife and I said, yeah, it's like it's like I decided that now that I started taking anxiety medication seven <laughs> years ago, 
that like I I missed the high of just being super anxious about everything. Yeah, yeah, and it wow. gave me that. You sure you sure chose a, a a good one there. You know, maybe you followed up with uncut gems and like just get really ramped up. What Adam <laughs> want me to want me to tell you how to make it how I made it worse? Oh no, my Would former seat was. Well, no. After it, I watched the Green Knight like the next day. It was great. Oh, nice. or later that day. It was great. Yeah, and yeah. I, I watched Men before it. Interesting, oh, not ideal. Great, <sighs> great cinematography in it. People talk about the ending of Men and like, oh, there's a human slinky. There's this whole birth thing. Listen, <laughs> I have three children. My wife experienced the worst of it, but like, listen, ain't nothing. Ain't nothing that the movie Men is going to show me that I've not lived in life. I'm like, okay, yeah. Well, no, that's just fine. Uh, no, I, Adam, here's the worst part. Before I did any of that, yeah. my pharmacy ran out of my refill of my oh. anxiety medication. So I was raw dogging those for a little bit. Whew. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I don't know, man. Regardless, <laughs> sometimes I like bummers. Sometimes bummers are fun. This I wouldn't necessarily call fun, though I do think there is some interesting stuff. Specifically sure. how this starts being... Rosenberg on a blank page saying every X-Men story is the same. Yeah. And, and this is the last X-Men story. So that is our pitch, right? Is that this is going to be dark. This is going to be the end. Um, you know, we're putting this sort of gravestone on top of, of the, uh, the era. And so just so readers know, we're going to start the conversation with the first arc, which is 11 to 16, 11 this to is, 16. This is forever. And, you know, I think we were just talking off there. Great start, I think, for the most part. You know, I think issue one or issue 11, which is like a triple sized issue by Rosenberg with Salvador La Roca, who is the main penciler on this run, uh, as well as with backups uh, with John McCree and uh, Juan and Ramirez. Mm -hmm. I think this sells me on. The desperation, because what this is, what you have to remember is that Cyclops was dead yep. for several years before this. This is the first Cyclops story since IVX. Mm -hmm. This is the first Wolverine is with the X-Men story since Wolverine's death several years before then. Like, it is them coming back to life, more or less, and saying, oh, everything's even worse. What are we going to do about it? And I think this comic sells the desperation that, like, you know, every X-Men story is about them being hated and feared and trying to protect that world and them just continually getting beaten down and broken and having IVX stuff happen and having M-Day happen and having the Mutant Registration Act and Project Wide Awake. All this crap wearing down on them and making them exhausted. This I, comic I, gets that through. Yeah. And, you know, I think if there's a criticism to be weighed against Fall of X, it's that there seems to be kind of an underlying cheery disposition to a lot of the conversations and characters at the same time that there is the threat of global genocide to the mutant race. Um, whereas this does not spare punches. This is basically suggesting that the mutants have no hope. Um, there has been perfected an anti-mutant vaccine that is going to sterilize people. They're not going to be able to make it to the vaccine later. 
We're going to get we into will. the vaccine later. <laughs> there is no way to make more mutants uh, at the part start of this story. We have a an anti-mutant person running for president. You know, they're being hunted down and it seems like every regular person, I don't want to use that, you know, like non-mutant character is... Mutants is a, aren't real. We can't, we can't, you and I, I can't I actually discriminate I, against mutants, Adam. I just want to be clear. They are fictional. Yeah, but, but, you know, every human being who's not a mutant is pic- depicted in this story as being deeply, you know, hateful and you know, spiteful and bigoted. So except for Harry, the owner of Harry's hideaway, God bless Harry. God bless Harry. God bless Harry. Um, so if I want to compliment this, um, I will say that the, uh, the idea of Cyclops showing up at sort of like a MAGA rally and shouting out his discontent, you know, and getting into this argument with the crowd and then with captain America and it's in very stark relief to what we just saw in, let's say, Fall of the House of X, where Scott didn't even defend himself in court, which I know has been a little bit controversial. Has it? I don't pay attention to that anymore. Yeah, I, I just, it's an interesting contrast. You know, this Cyclops is so beaten down that he, he can't help but just be furious with the state of the world and be shouting about it. So where could, this goes, could you believe Adam, yeah, could you yeah. believe that this comic came out in 2019 when w- probably liberal leaning people were not at their lowest point in terms of, Oh no, everything's going to be terrible, but we're getting there. It sure is a comic of its time. I, I it's think a, that that's pretty accurate. Very of its time. Yeah. So that's great. I think that the final sequence in the first issue of, you know, hey, Cyclops is going to get taken out by all of these different random, uh, you know, B-list villains, including like the Reavers and the Purifiers. They, I mean, it kind of is reminiscent of a furthest place from here scene with all the gangs coming in and attacking. Yes. Um, And Wolverine showing up and going, he ain't alone. That's a pretty good beat. That got a pop out of me. What gets a bigger pop out of me is after they beat up everybody, they stand next to each other. These two men, last they talked, hated each other so much. Mm -hmm. Wolverine died before Cyclops. Like, he's not even mad about IVX stuff. He's mad about all this other stuff still. You have five-ish years of these guys just not being friends. No, 10 years, because Schism was in, like, 2011. Right. So you have these guys, the first time in a decade, they see each other, and it's says logan scott all right let's get to work that <laughs> right freaking that's that's how you end an issue right there like that that got me going on this first issue sure um i think we would be remiss if we weren't also talking about the the darkest part of this start of the the arc um which also involves the suicide of uh blindfold and the way that rosenberg is telling this story is that every single possible future for blindfold is so bad that she has no choice left, but to take her own life. And I think that there's a certain level of irresponsibility in the way that that was told. I understand why Matt did it. I understand what his intentions were as a storyteller. I don't know that it's in fitting with, what the X-Men are usually all about, you know, in general. 
think for... there's a there's a big tonal shift between Uncanny X Men disassembled and then going right into this. Like, yeah, it's a lot. I I struggle with the blindfold story just because I I fully understand what's happening here. You're showing, hey, this is what this level of depression and anxiety about the future can do to somebody. I get that. I don't know how well that is conveyed in the short page time that it is given for a side character. I feel like that is somewhat of a challenge. I I think it's a form of fridging in terms of how to motivate our main characters that feels very uncomfortable because there is a version of this entire Rosenberg arc that leans a little bit more into like a dark sense of humor, right? Because there are things yeah. that happen over the course of this that are kind of funny in like a really dark and twisted way that probably would have played better had it not leaned so hard into things like what happens to blindfold that don't really seem totally in keeping with the, I don't know. It's hard because it's, it's almost wanting the tone to be different, but then Rosenberg has absolutely set what the tone is by doing this to that character and to other characters along the way. Rosenberg wants to Rosenberg wants to do his fun dialogue because that's the writer he is. Uh, But then at the same time, he has been, he has been handed the make this the darkest X-Men story uh, as the marching orders for this. And that is hard to balance. Uh, And I don't think that is successfully balanced. No. Uh, I also, I also want to say not helping him is Salvador LaRocca doing some of the worst work of his career. Let's get into it. (laughs) I mean, we got him, right? Like that, that doesn't help any of this. No, it really doesn't help that the book just looks bad. You know, I was trying to give it a fair shake on a reread and go, okay, maybe this is that and this, that, but oh boy. I mean, there is just like some really, his style has changed so dramatically since he came on to comics and not for the better. Uh, He's leaned into something that feels like it wants to be more photorealistic and it's not good um proportions are weird but not in a way that feels complementary to a certain style things just don't seem to match up perspective wise it's just i don't know i nothing about it sits right with me it's not great i don't think rochelle rosenberg's coloring on this does it any favors at all it's it feels like do you remember the uh, Ed Brubaker, ex, uh, the extremists, I think it was, uh-huh. Mark? Uh, mm-hmm. It feels like that. Like, it's that drab, brownie, gray, depressing yep. comics that we didn't like. You know, and I do think the photorealistic style is a big hindrance to this entire story because it means that everything hurts and hits a little bit more. Whereas, like, the Wolverine Returns story in this uh, that John McCree does it's like a parallel story of this. If you get someone with more of a cartoonist eye on this, like McCray, I kind of think some of the, like the, I think it would balance out the hyper depressingness of everything with, because it's you, you are a, another step removed from the work versus La Roca. That is very much. This is as realistic as Salvador La Roca can get it. Right. Right. Um, so I think we're in agreement that the, the art is not great. 
the where the book goes from here though is also just pointedly strange you know cyclops essentially develops a like who's still the living supervillains and foes of the x-men list and yet we're gonna go get them but we're not gonna kill them we're gonna hide them in the basement of harry's and we're gonna start with dark beast uh we're gonna run into the mlf who are being led by hope we're gonna you know we're gonna rescue and follow up on the storyline from dead souls so we're gonna we're gonna rescue the new mutants from one not just not just dead souls this is matthew rosenberg saying okay well everything i've done at marvel i guess like this is my biggest stage and i'm probably he knows that he knows that Krakoa is coming. He knows that he's not getting another uh, opportunity. This he's like, well, I got to wrap it all up in all of this at the same time. Yeah, uh, yeah. And that adds complexity because you because he did not leave astonishing or <laughs> Dead Souls or Multiple Man. Well, Multiple Man he left in a pretty decent spot actually, but astonishing or Dead Souls or like Secret Warriors with everything <laughs> tied up perfectly. No, and he's he's really trying to pull this stuff back together, but it doesn't seem to fit. You know, we're telling different, very different kinds of stories here that don't seem to mesh. So we get this episodic quality to it where it's kind of villain of the week, right? Like, oh, it's the original Brotherhood, but it's Joseph? Why? I don't know. It turns like, into multiple villains of the week, which is, it makes it weird because it does feel like they're being told you have to have a fight in this comic now. Yeah. Yeah. But it's a pointless fight that doesn't matter. You get. Yeah. But that's another thing that contributes to the goofy, like quality of this, right? Like there's this really, I, I do appreciate the dark sense of humor of hope shooting Cyclops's eye out so that he is a literal Cyclops. That is that's funny. funny. That's funny. That's funny. That's, that's a, that's a funny bit that he did that right. I think about a lot. Like that's, that's funny. You can tell that he wants to have fun with dark beast. He wants to have fun with what he's doing. He's trying to do the, the dark characters. beast from his secret Avengers. Right. Like, he's just trying to do that. He's trying, but he's trying to do all these different things all within the shackles of the story he's been given. Mm -hmm. And that is, that is a challenge so much so that by the time we get to 16. Like, here's the team. Here's the size of the team, by the way, by the end of this arc. It's Cyclops, Danny Moonstar, Wolverine, Havoc, Multiple Man, Multiple Multiple Mans, including a Warlock Multiple Man. Oh, right. Uh, Chamber, Magic, Karma, Wolfsbane, Banshee, Hope Summers, and mm -hmm. Conan. Right, Conan comes back. Yeah, comes back at the, uh, the end of this arc. And it's unclear whether some of the villains are part of the team or whether they're not like hope is their prisoner, but then she's not. And Conan is their prisoner, but she's not. And you know, is dark beast helping or hurting uh, a little unclear. The Conan thing, the Conan thing, by the way, super feels like they said we need to use Conan. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Does juggernaut join and the team in the first arc? Yeah. He, he joins juggernaut at the end of the last issue of this arc. Right? Oh yeah, that's right. Juggernaut also joins the team. The team in yeah, because he's he's it's mad that Joseph characters. Him. It's too many characters, and Rosenberg is really interested in like four of them, mm -hmm. but has to has to wrap up everything else, which is 
it makes it for a hard book because it's, I mean, it's really, it's a Cyclops and Wolverine book. And I get that every X-Men story is the same and every X-Men story is about these two dudes, but they hadn't had a story together in 10 years. So I'm going to give them like one, uh, but there's a lot of characters that don't get FaceTime that they need so much so that they start to leave. And in the weirdest thing to end this arc, Wolfsbane has decided that she's leaving the team. And then we end it with, Danny Moonstar crying on the ground, screaming about how Wolfsbane is dead. And that is the end of this arc. Yep, that's the cliffhanger. So why don't we pause, because obviously that's going to lead to a much larger conversation later. And let's try and rank the just this this first half of, uh, of Rose and Canny. You want to tell people about our big old list? We have a big old list. We're ranking all the X-Men stories from best to worst. That's it. Uh, we have eight, I'm sorry, no, we do a bit here. We have 850, you guys can tell, we're not even, we're not even to the part that me and Adam had to have a sidebar before the show was like, okay, how are we doing this? Uh, we'll get there, there. we'll get there. 858 stories on this list, ranked from best to worst, with the best being Hoxpox, number 200 being Cable, Blood, and Metal, number 400 being Colossus, God's Country, number 600 being Curse of the Mutants, that time that Cyclops told Dracula, I just want you to follow your heart. 800 is X-Man Messiah Complex, that's when he uh, formed a band, or was in a band and wore a mesh shirt, that's great. Uh, and 858 is 2099 World of Tomorrow. It's the worst X-Men story of all time. This is better than 2099 World of Tomorrow. Worse than number 500 Generation Hope, the future is a four-letter word. Yeah, I'm I'm looking down and I'm curious if this is a 500s or a 600 story. Um, I just don't think it's successful in its tone and, and what it's trying to accomplish. You know, like aside from... The obvious of yes, bumming the reader out. I think it's successful there, but it is incredibly un- successful at bumming you out. Yes. which was one of its goals. Yeah, so I want to give it. I'm giving it partial credit because it did what it wanted to do. <laughs> sure, um, I just don't know that it really succeeds in terms of the t- even that as a central tone. It seems like all over the place, and the art just looks like crap. So the art is so bad. Yeah, it's. This is not as good as Astonishing X-Men Ghost Box at 588. Nope. No, it is not. Um, is it... Is it better or worse than an oddly comparable Nick Spencer's Ultimate Comics X-Men? I I would give the edge to Nick Spencer because I think that was still kind of messy, but I was very engaged with that. I think it tells a similar story, but that one does more successful. A lot of... A lot of that coming down to the artwork. Yes, I would agree. I would agree. So, our, all right, that's all the way down at 598. Uh, below that is the Muir Island saga, which I think I would also, for all of its flaws, give the edge. I think we're in the 600s here. I think we're in the 600s. 625 is Weapon X Force. Uh, that's the time that Sabretooth got, I don't know how to... How do we describe Weapon X Force? They got good costumes, and then also, um, is that, is Azazel that was fight, there. Is that the one where they fight in hell against the? Yeah, where, where, where Reverend William Stryker uh, has come back, and he is a Satanist now. Oh yeah, yeah, a Satanist robot. I think we're in the right bot. Um, you know, Rosenberg is trying something here. I want to at least you know, give credit for that. It's just, it's deeply unsuccessful. So 
I I think I know where to put it. All right. At 621 is the Daddy Boros issue of X Factor. Mm-hmm. Something that Matt Rosenberg, I think, would love. It's a, it's uh, a fun gimmick. At 622 is Ultimate Comics X-Men 13 to 18, Divided We Stand, United We Fall, which is when the uh, Nick Spencer X-Men stopped being written by Nick Spencer and then had to do the American Civil War too. Yeah, that was that was where it gets real messy. I think it goes right between those two. Because I do think all this right. is better than the Paris arc of all new X-Men for its flaws. I agree. So let's put this at 622. That is the uh, This Is Forever arc of Uncanny X-Men Volume 5. Now, at least in terms of publishing simultaneous to this, as we're getting into the last part of Rosenberg, War of the Realms crossover is happening company-wide at Marvel. So, of course, you have to have an X-Men tie-in to this. So we get this really kind of odd intermission in Rosenberg's arc with War of the Realms, Uncanny X-Men 1 to 3, which is still written by Rosenberg, but is illustrated by a much better artist, Perry Perez. Yes. Now, here's the issue with this. War of the Realms Uncanny X-Men is coming out monthly. Mm-hmm. Uncanny X-Men is coming out bi-monthly. War of the Realms Uncanny X-Men chronologically takes place before Uncanny X-Men 16, which came out before this. Yep. And runs in parallel with this arc up until the last month of this arc, of the next arc. So, tonally... It's friggin' weird that this is coming out. Yeah. Yeah. Because you have no idea how this three-issue series fits. Exactly, because we left off with the announcement and the cliffhanger that Rain died, right? And yet this story um, has her as a relatively central character. So were the realms for people who didn't know what it was or ignored it is basically kind of the culminating Asgardian story from Jason Aaron, where Malekith has summoned all of his Asgardian forces and is going to conquer earth and all of the nine realms. Here's how, here's how I always think of Jason Aaron's Thor, Adam. It starts off with a banger of a 12 issue run. Sure Asad does. Ribic doing incredible art. Uh, it has that number 12. That is a great one shot that really works. And then it goes into this Lord of the Rings story that no one really liked. And then the rest of the art, the rest of the run is about that Lord of the Rings story that no one really liked culminating in the war of the realms. And I feel like that's kind of the secret wars recipe that a lot of Marvel was like kind of shooting for, right? It's like, Oh, well, we've got a big name writer. They've been doing a run on this series. Let's blow it out at the end with this like giant company crossover. And the problem with that is that if you do that every single time, it's not really all that exciting, especially when it's really just your, your regular Marvel heroes fighting against frost giants and, you know, dark elves. Like that's not as exciting as another crossover could be. It's, I mean, it's not. And this, that's what this story is. It's the X-Men Go to New York because Danny got summoned Valkyrie things. They go to New York City and they have to camp out and save all of New York by keeping them in City Field. Okay, let's just 
that is pretty funny. I do That's love that they hide <laughs> in City Field and make that their like. There's a couple of really clever things that happen in here. One is just like the the continual obsessive use of madrox by rosenberg i do have to appreciate that dude dude loves dude loves madrox yeah so and much. it's not just that there, it's an army of madroxes because hope is part of this story you have an army of hopes because hope is uh siphoning off madrox's power and making dupes of herself i just that kind of stuff is great the main antagonist of this three issues series is uh not just these random frost giants and dark elves but Sabretooth has been enlisted to lead a group of what what are these ice dogs that are in this i don't really hellhounds know. they're hellhounds. Hell, they're they're the they're the dark hounds of the hunt cool Malkeith is the lord of the hunt he has he has dark dogs like that's a that's a thing it's he has dogs Malkeith yeah. has hunting dogs this is Sabretooth literally months after being sent to hell uh, right. to save his son and unreverting. He's like, anyway, now I'm Sabretooth again. I'm just going to be a jobber. Weird choice. I don't, I don't get that. What's, what's weirder about this is who uh, Sabretooth has kind of sort of teamed up with. Well, he's working for, right. He's, he's been assigned by. Uh, Hrim Hari, the Wolf Prince. Yes, and from Asgardian Wars. I'm Adam. I know you love Asgardian Wars, so know that I'm not talking about that when I'm about to say what I'm about to say. Yeah, go ahead. Has there ever been a good story with Hermhari the Wolf Prince? <laughs> Even in Asgardian Wars, arguably the weakest part. I mean, he's just you know a, a Claremontian crush for for Wolfsbane, right? You know, but. Uh, ultimately what happens with tear in Peter David's X factor um, really does. Well, I can tell you there's never been a good story with tear in it. Vita Ayala tried and dropped that one said, actually, we're not going to get into the tier of it. I don't know why everybody go, go and reread those Peter David X factor stuff. Go tell me that it's worth ever addressing again. It's, it's pretty rough stuff. Um, So someone should send us hell on earth war. We'll get me. No, thank you. So what Hermari has done is, is essentially made the a Wolf deal Prince. with uh, with Hela that if as long as Rain like can stop fighting the bad guys, I guess like hey, just 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 give up and come and live with us, you know, then you can be back with you know your guy and and your kid. And Rain's like, Did you know yeah, was yeah. married at this time. Oh, sure. Do you know who she was married to? No. Who's she married to? Uh, Carnilla the Norn Queen. Oh, okay. Okay, cool. I didn't know that. Most people just don't know about that. How, not, how not Hela is married story. to Carnilla the Norn Queen. That's great. Good Good for Hela. I don't you know. I, I don't know if it is a carnal relationship or if they have any romantic feelings for each other because it was kind of like a trick marriage, but they did go with it. So they are cool. still married as far as I remember. I have to imagine that if you're an eternal God that like never dies, things must get boring, you know, like you, you can only entertain you yourself. Think you by think their hats this. ever get stuck together? <laughs> they both got complex hats. I have to assume that they take them off at the end of the day, but who knows? <laughs> who knows? Anyway, who knows? rain decides that like, she knows that she can't do the 
stay with Ramari the Wolf Prince, but it does it adds context to the to how Rain dies later. It doesn't necessarily make it better, but it at least gives Rain a thing where previously she had no characterization in this run until then. And that's not for lack of Matt Rosenberg liking the character, because he obviously put her in Dead Souls and wrote her well there. But sure. Ugh. I think what what here's here's where it's helpful. It's helpful because it gives some context to why Rain would want to leave the X-Men, right? Which was happening in Uncanny that precedes yeah, Danny's and why, that she died, right? And why, so, she'd be, why she'd be good with being like, you know what? Actually, I, I'm going to do the Star Wars 3 thing. Yeah. Why she has lost the will to live. Oh, right. Yes. So... Uh, the, I don't want the, to talk about these comics. <laughs> the, downside, the downside to this story is that the thing that like you see rain do very effectively in this story is go head to head with Sabretooth and kind of have him on the ropes. So when we go back to the story, we're about to talk about in a, in a moment, the death makes no sense because here she is it's absolutely... because she has lost the will to live because uh... she doesn't have Rimbari the Wolf Prince in tier. It's I'm not saying I'm not saying it's a good reason. I'm saying that's textually the reason that is given. So stupid. All right, so we'll get into that in just a second. But I do think that th- these three on their own are kind of fun. There's like you know Summers Brothers with beards. There's fur coats. There's battle scenes on the streets of New York and. It doesn't have the same grim quality of the rest of the Rosenberg run. It allows him to have a bit more of the spirit that he did with Dead Souls or Multiple Man, even though it's like just basically one long battle scene for three issues, right? And he does get get some kills in too, right? Uh, I believe Sunspot dies at the end of this. Sunspot Sunspot dies if... Sunspot's death almost feels like a bit. Like it, does, it really especially doesn't make sense. because, especially because we know about it in in reading history. We know that he dies at some point, uh, but we don't know how and when. And we are now deep into the Rosenberg run. By the time he actually dies in the third issue, like we're on like the second to last uncanny issue, and he accidentally gets blown up by something. Yeah, it's it, ridiculous. At that point, at that point. We had gone through the worst of it, and I just went around to laughing at that one. I was like, <laughs> stupid. Everyone's yeah. dying. It's like he's just throwing we darts for- at a dartboard, right? Um, yeah, we forgot to mention earlier, Strong Guy and Loa also die. I think those are all the named X-Men that have died up to this point in the run. Yeah. I, well, I mean, the list grows, but, you know, a lot of it's it, still villains, It's too, going to so. get worse before it gets better. Yes, to the point it where it's going to get comically worse. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it, like I said, darts in a dartboard. By the last issue, it kind of turns around to, oh my gosh, it's just, we're killing everybody now. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So uh, I, if we're talking about rank, ranking this, I think this is better than uh, than the, the first part of Rosenberg's run for sure. Um, it has, yeah. it has lower, it has higher highs or it, no, it doesn't have as high of highs, but it doesn't have as low of lows. Yeah, it's is it's, my thought on it. It's more like a medium grade uh, thing. So I think we're probably in I don't know the five hundreds here. Like, is this better than Generation Hope? 
which generation hope? Uh, the future is a four letter word. One to four. I don't think it's better than that. That's the, that's the one with, uh, no, I don't, I don't think it's better than that. I don't think it's better than death of X at five ten. No. Uh, do we have any crossovers right around here? Oh, uh, let's see. Oh, I know where my line would be. Okay. Uncanny X-Men 401 to 406 X Corp. Ah, better or worse? It's that one. I'd say better than this, better than Lord Darkwind, but maybe worse than Molly Fest Destiny at 520. All right. That sounds like a good place for it. So this is going to be our new 521 War of Realms Uncanny X-Men 1 to 3. And now the moment no one has been waiting for. (laughs) Hey, folks. Just, just so you know, this next part's going to have some discuss, frank discussions of violence uh, against women and violence that has been interpreted by the by a lot of people and can easily be read as an allegory for violence against the trans community. So, if you don't want to hear any of that, see you next week. We'll have more fun stuff. We're not we're not doing anything super depressing that Zach's mad about reading uh, <laughs> next week. Yeah. We're talking about man thing next week. Next week's going to be fun. It's going to be very silly. Uh, Um, there is still some, there is still some silly stuff in this, uh, this last arc here folks, but. Oh, um, because if we don't laugh, we're going to cry. Yeah. And I don't cry about comics. It's just like, there's some of this stuff is heavy and hard. Yeah. So I think, you know, the biggest reason that people have extremely negative feelings about the Rosenberg run and appropriately so is that, it's not that he kills rain. It's the fact that the way it's written on page is essentially a, a trans panic killing of the character. And, you know, we have, t- you've talked to Rosenberg at the time afterwards, you know, I've talked to him at Comic-Con. He's apologized publicly. I think it's very apparent that Rosenberg did not necessarily think through what the symbolism of what he was putting down on the page represented Mm -hmm. because for those who haven't read it, essentially how the scene plays out is that rain is just relaxing on a park bench. A group of young men come over. One of them is flirting with her. And when she, they will not go away to her, you know, rebuffs, she does partially transform into the wolf and they're using the language of being fooled. Right. Um, that, you know, now they're going to, now they're going to kill her. And the added weirdness of that issue of 17 is that it's, that part is told in flashback while Wolverine exacts his revenge on this group of boys and also uses the phrase, say her name and makes them say her name, which also conflates this story with the black lives matter movement in a way that feels really unearned and strange. And, you know, Rosenberg has talked about this a lot, that this was just not well thought out. And, you know, he has apologized. And I, I if, if there are folks out there that don't want to accept that apology, I, I think that's fair. You know, I don't think he meant malice, but when you talk about artwork, you have to understand how it's received is just as, and, in many cases more important than the intention of the artist. And there's not, there's not a lot of ways to, to look at it differently. Once it's what I had, I had not read this since it first came out. 
And I think with time, I had put in my head, but you know what, maybe this isn't as bad or as blatant feeling as it was, you know, as I remember it. And no, it is. Uh, and there's yeah. a great there's a great piece, and we'll link to it in the episode by a friend of the show and our friend Nola Fowl from Women Rights Write About Comics about this issue that can speak to this in a lot more detail than Adam and I reasonably can. But it it's a rough read, and this is not this is not a unique thing to Rosenberg. I mean, X Men has historically used images of you know, violence against a marginalized community to, you know, highlight the mutant metaphor. And part of it's to draw very direct parallels of, no, this is what we're talking about when we're saying, hey, these people are being hated and feared. Uh, like Claremont, Claremont does a lynching thing in God Loves Man Kills. Like, right. th- that's what it is. This is mm-hmm. not the first time. This won't be the last time something like this happens. But there's a there's a lot about this that feels charged and unearned and doesn't feel thoughtful mm, there which you is go. which is surprising to me because you know, rosenberg's generally a pretty thoughtful like i i like him i've talked to him he's generally a pretty thoughtful guy uh but this this absolutely it it is worse than you remember it, it especially even if you remember it is pretty bad and that's that's a hard pill to swallow and unfortunately because this is the pivot point of the entire run it leaves a bad taste in your mouth as you go through the rest of the stories. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's especially strange because the rest of this story, after we get past the, the, the awfulness of this issue is bonkers. It's actually very strange and borderline silly in the way that it goes about telling the rest of the story, because the rest of the arc centers around the idea that Emma Frost has erased herself from everybody's memory and is plotting this like huge overarching scheme to actually erase mutants from everybody's brains so that they don't even know that mutants exist. It's pretty wild. It's, it's weird. It's strange. And so at the same time, Adam, yes, you're, you're not, (laughs) You're not giving the amount of bonkersness that happens in this plot. Yeah, please doing, add to the bonkersness because it is weirder than I'm even describing. It's it's so weird. And this is this is too complicated of a story for the amount of time that is left in this book for five issues they have. It's too much because what you have is you have Emma Frost doing that. She's working with Mystique to make this happen. But also she is being used as a pawn by the O.N.E., and general generic bad guy. Uh, I don't know his name, and you don't know his name. And that's no, it's it's the same guy from uh, Dead Souls. That's a general generic bad guy. Yes, <laughs> is who I like to call him. Yes, I, like I'm trying to look up his. It's General Robert Callahan. So general generic bad guy. Yeah, uh, he has captured Emma Frost, put a bomb in her brain, Suicide Squad style, and. Says she mm-hmm. he's going to kill her if she doesn't play ball with him. So Emma is double dealing on this. She is playing both sides against the middle. And then also at the same time, because we still have that pesky vaccine that's out there. And wouldn't you know it, Cyclops is Cyclops has been doing his own research. And he's just asking a lot of questions. Adam. 
Cyclops is Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> He's been on Facebook. <laughs> oh my gosh, Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> It's really frustrating that the Packers have had two Hall of Fame first ballot quarterbacks that have gone off the deep end in surprisingly different ways. And I am really concerned about what happens with Jordan Love in 15 years and the ways that he is going to disappoint me. Yeah. Um, as of as of this recording, the Packers have gotten the seventh seed in the playoffs and are going to be pl- will have played yesterday. Uh, when this comes out, and hopefully one to go to the next round of the playoffs, though I do not find that likely. Hey, you're talking to a uh, Ravens fan, so I- I'm doing pretty good right now. Gross. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, at the same time, so Cyclops wants to get rid of this pe- pesky vaccine. So he works with Dark Beast to make an anti-vaccine. Sure does. Uh, which he then distributes via chemtrails that Banshee like. <laughs> Spreads across the globe. Right. So kids get the vaccine. This is all incredibly and, straight. By yeah. The way. And, and kids get the vaccine and then start like bleeding out. Right. So and like dying. That's, he yes, does. And dying. He does so he's killing children. He Secret Warriors. He oh does God. the thing from Secret Warriors where Sinister made a person bomb. Yep. Yep. Child. Only yep. it's played completely straight here. It's so weird. It anyway, so Emma succeed. Emma then succeed. Oh, by the way, and General Generic Bad Guy is making Warlock Sentinels also at yes. the same time. Yep. And Sinister is also involved. Um. Yeah. So Emma has Emma's gone plot. to the. Yeah, Mystique is there. Um, she's been pretending to be Captain America to interact with the. Wait, X-Men Mystique's been Harry's. Captain America this whole time. That's funny. Yeah, and Emma has has taken the bomb out of her brain and introduces this idea that she's going to erase all of mutantdom from like human awareness, and this doesn't shake out the way she wants it to because General Bozo has his own like Cerebro and he's got the Warlock Sentinels, and so we really get to this final issue where just people just start blowing up everywhere, left and right. Let's and- talk about after after the. After the rain death, this is the list of characters who die by the end of this story. In the net last five issues, Chamber, Dark Beast, Vanisher. Hold on, someone else, more people die. Chamber, Dark Beast, Vanisher. Oh, no one dies in this issue. Oh, Shinobi Shaw dies, but who cares? Right. Uh, Banshee, Magic doesn't die, but somehow becomes 100% Dark Child for a while. Juggernaut gets the Crimson Gem of Sidorak ripped out from him. Madrox dies, and Havoc dies. Mm-hmm. Also, Basically, Fabian Cortez, who I forgot was in this. Oh, and Warlock dies. Well, uh, Emma is using Fabian Cortez to amplify her uh, already powerful tel- telepathy to accomplish her goals. Sure. So yeah, I mean, people are just getting knocked off left and right until... The magical return of the rest of the X-Men from the Age of X-Men. They arrive, they kick butt in like a page or two. And, you know, LaRocca comes back for the final issue, but obviously was like pressed for time. So we get a couple of fill-in pages that look really bad. And Are we talking about the butt grab? We talk about the butt grab? And then LaRocca is back after those couple of fill-in pages by I don't know who. And we get maybe Messina. 
who I I don't want to I don't even want to judge his work based on these pages. They were very much a they were a we need a rush job. We oh, just no. need something that that's works. a one that's a one day afternoon like couple of pages right there. Um, if I've ever seen him, which like, he does work in Glob Herman, so good for him. Sure. Sure. Um, but then we get the grand conclusion of this arc, which is the butt grab. And LaRocca has done some pretty interesting and questionable things art wise, female anatomy. You know, there's there's a, a long storied history of good reasons to do um, objects coming out of a panel. Um, I did think it was strange when he decided to have Emma Frost's boobs uh, overlap the bottom of a panel um, earlier in the issue uh, or at the last, I don't remember if it's this issue or the, or the one before it, but um, the final like moment of this story involves Jean gray coming out of the, you know, the ashes of the defeated ONE and falling into Scott's arms as Emma and Logan look away and Cyclops's hand is pressing into Jean's butt. It's like, it's a good fistful he's, of tushy. He's yeah, he's grabbing. He's he's very excited to see her, <sighs> folks. It's not good. Um, it's it's bad for the reasons we said earlier, and then it's just incompetently told by the end of this. Like Rosenberg has too much story for the time allotted, and especially too much story to be well told by the creative team that he has working with him because he has LaRocca. But then at the same time, he also has CF Villa, Carlos Gomez and Bob Quinn working with him on like fill in stuff. Like, but it, it is so rushed. We got to get this out every other week that it just, no one is doing their best work. No, no. And it ultimately is, is a failure as a story. You know, if it's trying to tell this extremely, you know, dark thing, the the second um, arc of this, it has the title of we has we have always been. And the punchline to this on the last page is that we have always been at war. And if if the goal of this story was to really be this sort of dark, I, I, I just don't think it really it doesn't succeed. He's, he's lost the readers well before this and the number of goofy things that he's trying to overlap as he gets to the finish line in, in quick succession, it, he can't, he can't make it happen. You know, it's not going to all get tied up in a, in a tidy bow and it is just going to be a mess. And I think that's highlighted even further because you get to the letters page and What's waiting for you? The cover of House of X number one. What a beautiful, what a beautiful thing. Because really what happened is we all turned the page and said, oh, wait, next week, everything's going to be something new's happening next week. And we don't know what. The thing about this run is that, yeah, by the next week, we were done. Heck, I think by the day this came out, also came out a preview of like, house of x and powers of 10 so we were all like oh no we're doing this now right and that's unfortunate because i think there are some ideas here that could be interesting but then just aren't i think under the right circumstances if you gave rosenberg a different edict and asked him to do different kinds of stories that were maybe a little bit more aligned with what he was doing with his minis that there could be more fun here you know um unfortunately 
if the edict is do the darkest thing you can so that when we come back everybody is super psyched i mean it's set up to be the antithesis of what we're about to get with hickman so course in contrast it's 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 going to be bad you know and it's even on its own merits it's just not good um so i I think this is definitely i want to i want to i want to leave one last thing and this is probably the worst thing i can say about this you know how you know how they wanted us to be so like oh this is depressed and upset and like knowing that house of x was coming yeah it's the most freaking manipulative Marvel comic stuff they always do. You see it the most right now in, with the Spider-Man people. And that just may be because Spider-Man people are loud. But it's like, hey, look, we're going to make you, we're going to sell you stuff based on fear and anxiety of what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Instead of getting you invested in the stories. And it's manipulative and I hate it. And I hate more that it works. Because end of the day, if the goal was to get the catharsis of House of X uh, and get everyone hyped about that new thing, well, look, it worked. It sure like, did. dark and terrible, and it also worked, and I hate it. Yeah, yeah, it's it's definitely manipulative. So I, I think this is the worst that we've talked about today. I would go so far as to say we're probably in the 800s here. You think this is worse than uh, Brotherhood at 770? Because that's where my mind jumped to. 770 brotherhood one tonight yeah i do i do think this is worse i think i don't know onslaughts at 779 i mean we're really getting into actually gonna right now 800 you highlighted this uh i don't know intentionally or not uh but uncanny x-men 500 to 503 sfx yes a weirdly comparable story that involves a lot of abuse and violence towards a young, innocent female character. And also with some of the trash worst art you've ever seen. Yeah. That's some, some really bad Greg land stuff. So it's comparable for sure. I just, I just think that this one really did something that hurt people. And I think that is worthy of consideration as part of this. So you know, like I look down at like 811 Mojo Worldwide. Is it bad? Is it terrible? Yeah, but it's also just like a nothing, you know, whereas this like in its attempt to try something has really gone off the rails in a very bad way. I think I have the place, Adam. Yeah, go for it. I think you'll hear this and agree. I would put it below X Factor 39 to 40 multiple birth. Mm. That's at 820 right now. Yes. And right above Uncanny X-Men 508 to 511 Sisterhood. I I think that's a good place for this. And now we don't have to talk about it anymore. So uh, this is going to be our new 830, uh, the second half of Rosencanny. Wow, that was a challenge. Me and Adam normally don't like have to pregame on a podcast. Be like, okay, how do we, how do we, how are we doing this one? Normally we are we're just riding it loosey goosey. This one we had to be like, okay, wait, hold on, let's huddle, let's make sure yeah. we are saying the right thing. <laughs> what's that what's we our know approach? what we want to say on yes. this? It mm-hmm. turns out maybe we should prepare for podcasts more often. I you know what? Maybe that's I not mean, even a crazy unreasonable thing to like sit down and prepare for an hour of talking. 
Uh, who has time for that, Zach? Uh, come on. Who has That's... the time? That's true. <laughs> if I can't prepare for half of my meetings, I'm sure not going to prepare for this. I'm kidding. <laughs> I prepare so much for my meetings. It's insane. So despite despite these the the choice of story, we do want to thank our uh, our patron again for the challenge. You know, I I appreciate a good challenge. I don't. I I no longer need challenge. <laughs> I have enough challenge in my life. This is my fun X Men podcast. I just I think I think Riley Gillard. Uh, appreciate uh, being a patron and doing fun stuff. Uh, and I also appreciate how next week we get to talk about man thing. Yes. So next week we are uh, talking about that, that swamp man nexus of all realities guy from daydreamers. So that'll be exciting. X-Men character uh, man thing. Uh, that'll be great. <laughs> Adam, anything you want the people to know about? Nah, just, just follow on socials, Adam Reck on Blue Sky and Instagram and Arthur Stacy on Twitter. And that's about it. Okay. I don't have anything either. All right. You got to do, you got to say the bit. Oh yeah. 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 Sorry. I, this has been forever. <laughs> so I'm since last week. <laughs> Folks, this has been Battle of the Adam. We hope you survived the experience. I'm not sure we did. Get it!